You should know that what uh, Ben prayed about Belinda getting home was great. She was stuck in the Atlanta airport, which is not a good place to be stuck, and uh, was 18th on the wait list to get home on the last flight, and she made it. And I texted Monty in the midst of all that and said, Brother, I hereby give you permission to nap during the sermon tomorrow. <laughs> but I didn't give him permission to snore, so you just remember that, all right? Um, this is the time of year I always say there will be no allergies in heaven, brothers and sisters. Those of you that are struggling with allergies right now, just know that that will come to an end. And um, so that's, that's, I think, a part of the good news, actually. Not the best part, but a real part. Um, so when I selected this text, I didn't know that uh, uh, the search process would be where it is, but it's a, it's a situation that I think uh, the providence of God has worked for good, and I think it's a uh, text not just for the search committee, uh, but for um, uh, all of us for ver- in various ways at various times. I continue to be... Thankful for the opportunity to preach God's word to you. I told the elders in the, uh, early on that as long as the search committee is making progress, uh, I would be glad to continue on. Uh, they're making progress, not the kind of progress they wanted to make at this juncture, but they're making progress, and I'm glad for that. Now, this sermon, uh, God gave me this sermon. It sounds a little mystical for some Presbyterians, but that's okay. Uh, God gave me this sermon years ago, and I preached it in two or three contexts. Um, one of them was at a presbytery meeting of Evangel Presbytery, uh, and, the, and the meeting was in, in, in um, Coleman, Alabama, about an hour north of Birmingham. And at that meeting that day, uh, there was a man there that um, worked for Mission to North America, the PCA's Mission to North America. And I knew him, and uh, I knew his brother and uh, actually, he has three brothers, and I had known all of them. One of them had died, uh, but uh, two were still living. Um, and after the sermon, he told me, Alan, the reason I came to this presbytery today was to hear that message. Um, and I knew what he meant, and maybe you'll know what he meant after you hear it. I hope it will bless you um, as it did him. Uh, this is one of the weirdest texts in the Bible. Um, it's what you would call apocalyptic literature, and if you're wired like me, I'm a recovering engineer. Uh, you don't like texts like this very much. Uh, they just kind of rankle you a bit. Uh, but if you dig and get the big picture, uh, something very profound. So let's pray, and then we'll look at it. Father God, help us to understand what many of us will think is a very strange text, but it tells us something very important. And so I pray that your spirit will move, that we'll we'll all get it and apply it and be blessed by it. And you'd use a wretched, sinful, crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 1 at verse 1, um, this is the word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. 
By the way, I should tell you that the Kibar Canal is a place in modern-day Iraq, and they are in exile, okay? So they're in exile. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. But each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings and on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, and the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the Spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright. And out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. As I stood at the living, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four, their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Whenever the Spirit wanted to go, wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went. And the wheels rose along with them. And the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. You with me? Everybody with me? I got it. Okay. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. 
And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse of their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. Above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers will fade, but the words of our God will not fade. They will abide forever and forever. If you go on into chapter 2, God calls Ezekiel the priest to be a prophet and to speak his words to the people, uh, to be a watchman over Israel. It's a very intriguing passage. Of, I really would have needed to read the first three chapters, but you would have checked out on me somewhere in the process, and so I didn't do it. I want to begin with a question. This is a question God gave me in a totally different sermon uh, many years ago, uh, many, many years ago. It was in the old building at, at Faith Church Birmingham, and, and it just kind of came on me, and so I threw it out to the congregation, and everything got silent and still. Here was the question. Has your life gone about like you thought it would? Has your life gone about like you thought it would? For you? For your family? For this church? I don't know all of you real well, but I know enough of you to know that some of you buried spouses. Some of you have become remarried. Some of you have had infertility issues. Some of you have had miscarriages. Some of you, well, I have a friend. You remember my friend Johnny that came here, Johnny Johnson, the, the, the guy from the Czech Republic. Um, he was a missionary in the Czech Republic. He has this saying, there ain't no weird like family weird. And, and we got it's weirdness in every family, and it's just really true. You got the job you thought you'd have? Are you on the career track you thought you'd be on? How are your finances today? Are they about where you thought they'd be? Children, are you making the grades you thought you'd make? Got the boyfriend or girlfriend you wanted, thought you'd have, thought you'd keep? I could go on and on, but most of us would say, you know, life hasn't gone like I thought it would. Because we live in a fallen and broken world, and life doesn't go like we plan. Well, you know what? Ezekiel would understand that. His life had not gone like he thought it would. Abraham's didn't either. Moses, nope. Daniel, nope. Paul, nope. In each case, their life didn't go like they thought it would. Let me show you. Ezekiel was a priest. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest. Likely, we don't know for sure, he was born in Jerusalem. 
Certainly, he would have been trained there to be a priest. Uh, There, he would have expected to serve in Jerusalem where the temple was. That's where priests served. And then in about his 25th year, he's a young man, zealous, tackling life. About his 25th year, he's exiled to Babylon, along with many others from Israel. Why are they in Babylon? Well, there's several ways to answer that. You could say, well, they're in Babylon because of Nebuchadnezzar's army. Yeah, but why was Nebuchadnezzar's army there? Well, because they were sinful, and they had rejected God, and he sent judgment on them. And God is faithful to judge them in their sin. That's a sign of mercy, as a matter of fact. So, if you look at chapter 3, verse 15, he is at a probably a ruin... 3 verse 15, it came to the exile, I came to the exiles at Tel Abib who were dwelling by the Kibar Canal. So he's with exiles, and this Kibar Canal is an unauspicious drainage ditch or irrigation canal off the Euphrates. Tel Abib is probably a ruin, and the Jews have been sent there to rebuild it. More importantly, for Ezekiel. He is away from the temple where he would have thought he would have been serving God as a priest. And therefore, symbolically, he is away from God because of sin. He's really like a landlocked sailor. (laughs) There's nowhere to float his boat uh, here in Iraq. I picture him, if you look at this passage again, He's sitting on the curb on a dusty street, takes a last sip out of his beer can and throws it, and the wind blows it down the street, takes a last drag on his cigarette, flips the butt away, and he just starts weeping. He just starts weeping. He doesn't have an iPhone even, for crying out loud. He's a long way from home. Psalm 137 has these remarkable words which, by the way, there's songs about these words going back at least 500 years. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our harps. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. And they couldn't do it. They just hung up their harps. Because God has taken them into captivity. Life had not gone for Ezekiel like he thought that it would. Then, in about his 30th year, five years after the exile, about the year priests began to do their work at age 30, about the time that he would have begun to be his service as a priest, this happened. God revealed himself to Ezekiel, and brothers and sisters, he did it in Babylon. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. In chapter 2, God will call him in verse 5 to be a prophet. But God came to these exiles, these Jewish exiles, in Babylon. It's totally unexpected. 
totally unexpected. They are there, remote from God, removed from God, distant from God geographically. They're about 550 miles away. They're halfway between Baghdad and Basra. You've heard of those cities because of recent history. Morally, they're exiled from God, distant from God. Psychologically, they're captive in a foreign land. If you ask Ezekiel, do you have an expectation for God to come and bless you? He'd say, are you kidding? God sent us here because of our sin. God exiled us. (laughs) And to top it all off, if those of you know the Old Testament history... They went in this captivity, they went in waves. A group went, and years later another group went, and years later the whole thing kind of came down. But at this point, Ezekiel's in kind of the first wave to go into exile. And in chapter 11, there's a passage that I think rightly is interpreted in Ezekiel 11, verse 15. The guys back in Jerusalem are pointing their fingers at the ones that have been sent into exile and said, those are the real sinners. Those are the ones that got sent away. (laughs) I mean, they are really, really, uh, they're having a real pity party over here, I think, uh, in their exile because of so many different things that are coming together. But God took the initiative. God took the initiative. If you ask the question, is he seeking for God? Or is God seeking for him, them? The answer is obviously the latter. And so there's some lessons for us here. Um, Here's the first one, I think. If you're in exile, if you feel like you're in exile, if you feel like God's 500 miles away, if you feel like God's rejected you because of your sin... Maybe not. Maybe he's not finished with you. Maybe the end of the story hasn't come. Have faith. Be flexible. I mean, Ezekiel is trained to be a priest, and in chapter 2, God calls him to be a prophet. Now, the priest did teaching and everything, but he calls him to something very unique and unusual. And, and, And if he'd been a 21st century American Christian and God had said, I want you to be a prophet to my people, he might have said, well, that's not my gift set. <laughs> but God always equips those that he calls, right? And, uh, and so he's changing, really, very significantly. He's changing from being a priest at the temple to being a, a prophet to speak to the nation. I, I remember the story of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a physician in London, um, probably back in the 20s, 1920s. Um, and he was uh, a resident at, at St. Bartholomew's, St. Bart's in London, and was um, uh, uh, an assistant under Lord Horder, a well-known physician. Uh, and, and Lord Jones was probably on track to be the Queen's physician. And at just the end of his training, you might say, he felt a call to the ministry. And so he went to a mining community in Wales. Uh, he said, I want to go somewhere. If, if God does anything, it, it's pretty clear it's God that did it and not me and not demographics. And God blessed his ministry there in Wales and later he was at Westminster Chapel in London beginning just before World War II and lasting for a long, long time. But God trained him for one thing and took him into another. Who is this Ezekiel? Who is this, this 
book this passage for? Well, it's for people whose lives have not gone as they expected they would. It's for people who are in exile for sin. It's people who feel separated from the awesome God who think, I'm here and God's way, way, way over there. For those who are in obscurity, and I find that most Christians feel like they're in obscurity from time to time. And it's just little old me way over here in Newburgh, Oregon, and there are really some important places in the world, but I'm not in one of them, right? I don't know about Newburgh, but I know about God. This passage is telling me about God. If God can show up at Tel Aviv, he can show up in Newburgh. You can count on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. For those who are in obscurity, I'm forgotten. No one knows my troubles and sorrow. This is for those who think God tolerates sin without reaction. I mean, absolutely, they are in exile because of their sin. It's for those who would serve God, for pastors and elders and deacons, as Ezekiel was called to do. This passage really for most of us in one way or another. What, if you're in this situation, what do you need to see? You need to see what Ezekiel saw. What did he see? Well, he saw a lot of strange stuff, but I like the summary at the end and what's right at the beginning in verse 1, because if you miss these two verses, you're going to be lost in the weeds. I mean, pretty deep weeds in this passage, actually. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. I saw God. I got a revelation of God. And at the end, it says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And if the Ezekiel shoe fits your life, what you need to see, dear friend, is the glory of God. Let's look at a couple points First, grace came to those in exile, and secondly, because God came to those in exile, okay? Grace came to God in exile first. The most obvious thing about this passage is that they are in exile, and God revealed himself to them, and he revealed himself to them as gracious. Um, If you look down in verse uh, 28 of the book, It says, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Now, those of you that are familiar with the the story of of, um, Noah and the rainbow, and that the rainbow was a covenant sign in in Genesis, uh, I'll admit, a, a, a sign of the covenant between God and his world, But I think it's the same thing. He's trying to remind Ezekiel that he is a covenant-keeping God. And though they are really in exile, and though they really are far from home, God has a good plan for the rescue of his people. He reveals himself uh, to Ezekiel, and he will reveal himself to the exiles through Ezekiel. And that's important because of this. It's totally unexpected, that's one thing. And there's a passage in Amos where, I'll just read the passage, where, where in Amos it said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. 
They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Now, the scriptures are clear that if you're without the word of God, you are in very deep spiritual weeds. Um, if you're without the words of God, there's famine, a famine of food, that's a serious famine. A famine of the word of God, that's a more serious famine. It's a more desperate situation because without the Word of God, we're in total darkness. We don't understand who we are. We do not understand our world. I think one of the big problems of the politicians on both sides of the aisle is they don't know anything about the people they're trying to govern. They don't seem to know they're made in the image of God and that they're fallen, that they are capable of tremendous great things, and they are capable of tremendously Bad things. Both sides of the aisle. Forget it. So they're trying to govern people and they don't know what the people are. It's a terrible thing. It's trying to diagnose, give a, give a medicine without a proper diagnosis first. I'm sorry, enough of that. But this is a serious famine and God is going to alleviate the famine. Because he's going to call Ezekiel the priest to be a prophet. And when there's a word from God, there's grace. If you have a Bible, that's grace. If you have a Bible in your language and you can read, that's grace. You say, well, don't I need to pick it up and read it in faith? Absolutely. But you have it. Do you realize there are people in this world that don't have it? They don't have the word. They're in the darkness. These people in Ezekiel will perish If God doesn't intervene, and He intervenes, today it's the same. Without a word from God, people perish. Here they are at a place and a time when vision and hope were lost. God took the initiative and vision came again to God's people. As long as they're alive because of exile for sin, they're not automatically, necessarily, and eternally cut off from God and His grace. Many think so. Many people think, I am so sinful. Matter of fact, there are two extremes. I probably said this. I'll say it again. There's a group of people that think they're good enough. They don't really need God. And there's a group of people, and they're in churches, that think they're so bad, God can never be interested in them. That's absolutely, it's the truth. And, and, And we all struggle with that, to be honest with you. So... These people are thinking, God's done with us. We're 500 miles from home. We're under these people. There's nothing we can do. No, you can. You can pray and plead and repent and trust and seek God. What those in exile need first and foremost is a vision of our glorious, gracious God. It's our greatest need. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote a little you think of him writing big books, and he did write big books. But one of the small books he wrote was One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovic. Ivan Denisovic uh, was a prisoner in the Russian gulag. And this is probably historical fiction. But Ivan Denisovic met a Baptist Christian in prison named Alyosha. And in one place in the book, he, he, after he developed it, He says, Alyosha was happy in prison. (laughs) And he goes on to draw it out, and and he doesn't quote Ezekiel as I remember it. But the point is, Alyosha 
could see the glory of God, even in prison. He was happy. These people are going to see the glory of God. What those who are being called into the ministry most need is to see the glory of God because that is what will sustain them when life is in a ditch. When the wheels come off, what will sustain you? What will keep you going? What will make you press forward? It's not some quick fix scheme. It's seeing the glory of God. And so God came near to those who were without hope. And He came in the likeness of a man on a throne. Verse 26. God still cares. God's still in control. And now God has revealed Himself to us through His final prophet, the God-man. And Jesus' coming was unexpected. They'd look for the Messiah, but when He got there, nobody said, Hey, He's here! No, they didn't get it at first. God took the initiative. God revealed Himself in the coming of Jesus, and he showed his glory to them. God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God showed Ezekiel that he cared, and he has shown us that he cares. God calls us to submit to Jesus, to trust him in faith, to learn from him as the final prophet. Grace came. And then... I know there's a lot of repetition in this, but I think it's good and helpful. God came. This is a vision of God. This is a vision of the glory of God. And it tells us specific things about him other than the fact that he's gracious. Uh, He is glorious, verse 28. That's the main overarching theme. But you got to get in context. If you had gone up to Ezekiel and said, where do you expect to see the glory of God? What would he have said to you? He's a priest now. He's trained to be a priest. Where would he say, where can I see the glory of God? Well, he said, go to the temple. Go to Jerusalem. Go to the Holy of Holies. You can see the glory of God there. Yes, go there. But this is this is Babylon. We're not going to see the glory of God here, are we? This is Newburgh. We're going to see the glory of God here? Why not? Why not? When Jesus came, his people were subjugated by the Romans. And John wrote what I read a minute ago. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we have beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father. He not only is glorious, he's sovereign. He's coming, taking the initiative. I've said that, but what is he doing here? Okay, you've got the Israeli Jewish God coming and revealing himself in Babylon. Well, we sang earlier. I love it when the Lord works these things out this way. Oh, excuse me, we didn't sing it. John read it in the call to worship. For all the gods of the nations are but idols. Okay? The gods of the nations. All right? The nations had gods. And the god of Babylon was Marduk. M-A-R-D-U-K. He's the main Babylonian deity. And what Jehovah God, the biblical god, 
This God reveals Himself in Ezekiel 1. He is invading the turf of Marduk. You see, their view was that gods were in... that a God, every nation had their own gods, and this God can only be God in His place or on His turf. But the Lord of heaven and earth is called what? King of kings and Lord of lords. God of gods. As one man wrote it this way, this sudden appearance to Ezekiel among the deportees shatters the widespread myth that the influence of patron deities was localized in the territory over which they were understood to have jurisdiction. And that a person's access to that divinity depended on one's physical presence. In other words, if I was going to, if you were a, a, a Babylonian and were away from Babylon and you wanted to, to have an audience with Marduk, you had to go to Babylon. He wouldn't come to you in China or India. And so when, when God comes to Babylon, He's showing that He's the King of all kings And Lord of all lords. Did you notice in the first part of the text he came in a raging storm from the north? But Jerusalem's to the south. Yeah, but but he's not confined to Jerusalem. He's the the God of heaven and earth. He's not confined to that. No, no. He can can overcome that. He rides on the expanse. He comes as the divine warrior in verse 24. Like the sound of the Almighty, the sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. He is mobile. The wheels show us that God is mobile. He can touch down effortlessly, even in remote places. So if I was sick and, uh, and, and I was living uh, in a small town in, uh, we'll just pick on Africa, everybody picks on Africa, and the, 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 the medicine I needed was on the space shuttle, uh, the space shuttle couldn't land in my town in Africa, right? It can only land a few places. Is it, can God only land a few places? I don't think so, right? Isn't that our hope? That God can land anywhere? That he can bring the grace anywhere? I mean, if you're a missionary, I think that's pretty good news, right? Because missionaries often go to pretty remote places. Uh, my friend Johnny Johnson, I mentioned earlier, he, he retired, and then they, they called him about three weeks ago and said, would you come to Krakow, Poland, and help us with the relief effort for the Ukrainians? And he said, yeah, I'll go. So about a week or a little over a week ago, he flew over there. He's in Krakow, and what's his hope? Well, that God shows up in Poland, right? That God can show up in Poland. Your hope is that God can show up at your address or your job or your school or your neighborhood. There's no place on the earth where God cannot come to our aid. And we need to know that and believe that. Because some of us think we're remote from God and removed from God and far from God. Well, you may be, but God can still come, and I pray you will. This text reveals us that God is omniscient. Did you notice the wheels were full of eyes all around? He and He alone sees us when we're sleeping and when we're awake. He and He alone knows whether we're bad or good. He knows our sins. He knows our situation. He knows our needs. He is holy. The text shows us in verse 22 and verse 26. So there's, this, the, there's the creatures, and then there's the expanse, and then there's the, the, the throne. And so God is, 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 is incomprehensible. 
The fundamental teaching about God, that's one of the fundamental teachings, that he's incomprehensible. We know him truly, but not exhaustively, not completely. Ezekiel does not see clearly, fully, exactly, but he sees likeness, it says. God cannot be known exhaustively, and that's good, because we'll be learning about God all through eternity future. The proper response to seeing the glory of God is here. In verse 28, I fell face down. He prostrates himself before God. And then it said, and I heard the voice of one speaking. So what, what, what happens here? So here's this guy, far from home, far from the job he was trained to do, far, he thought, from the grace of God, and God shows up. And he sees the glory of God. And he experiences the call of God. And he falls on his face and he listens. He listens. Are you listening? Are you listening to God? Are you listening to God? Paul, I've been reading through First and Second Timothy. It's just where I am in my reading. And in Second Timothy, he said, You followed my speech, my conduct, my aim in life. My aim in life. I was caught by that phrase, my aim in life. What is your aim in life? What is your aim in life? It's like asking, what's your agenda? (laughs) How do you spend your time, your money? He falls on his face, he listens, and he's obedient. No amount of training can prepare us for a vision of God. Have you ever felt anything even remotely like chapter 1? Have you ever fallen face down before God? That's a serious question. Have you ever fallen face down before God? Well, if not, you've either not seen the glory of God or you've not seen the degree of the glory of God that I think you need to see, that the Bible would say I think you need to see. You remember when... uh, Jesus was born, and the shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock, what did they see? They saw the glory of God, right? They saw the glory of God. When Jesus was crucified, what did the Roman centurion say? Surely this was the Son of God. When Thomas saw his hands and his side, What did he say? My Lord and my God. You can go through all the major events of the life of Jesus Christ and in them you see the glory of God. A bit more about that in a minute. The message of Ezekiel is really a message of hope. Now, by and large, the book is a dark book. But reading it from a New Testament perspective, I think... It's, a, it's, a, it's really a message of hope. It's not based on an optimistic view of human potential. It's not based on the ability of government to intervene and control. But it's based on a hope of the revelation of the person of God and his continuing revelation of himself to his people and his forgiveness of them. When your life doesn't go as you expect, when get off into the ditch. When the wheels come off, you need to see the glory of God. 
You need to fall on your face and worship God. You need to open your ears and listen to God. There are many things in the world that will tell you that will get you through the tough times of life. Alcohol, drugs, comfort foods, pornography, distractions of all kinds. But where do we see the glory of God today? Not like Ezekiel saw it, I don't think. But listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you want to see the glory of God today, you want to look into the face of Jesus Christ. The risen, resurrected Jesus Christ, the baby Jesus Christ, the dying on the cross Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ. He was declared to be the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1. That's where you can see the glory of God today, if you will. And those who have seen His glory are comforted. They're blessed. They're ready to serve. They're ready to live. So the glory of God is what will see you through whatever you're going through. Whether you're looking at this life as a whole or whether you're looking at some particular ditch you've fallen into recently. When the wheels of your life fall off, when life gets in a ditch, look to the glory of God and the wheels of His glory. Because that's what you will get, get you through. That's what will get you through. And me. I think, went back in my 30 years in Birmingham, and I think, what enabled me to get through? Because it looks like I moved there after graduate school, and I lived comfortably for 30 years, and I retired. My wife will tell you, no. <laughs> no, he didn't live comfortably for 30 years. He was a mess, and without my counseling, he would have never made it. Uh, and that's true. Uh, but... Bedrock is the glory of God. I don't know what you're facing, but that's what you need to see. Let's pray. Lord our God, uh, thank you for revealing yourself to Ezekiel and through Ezekiel to your people in exile. To be honest, some some of us do and have felt like exiles. We feel like from time to time that we're very far from you. But the truth, O Lord, is you're never very far away. And you're there. You told Job that you'd been there all along, even though he felt so far off, so far removed. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that are really struggling, the ones that are especially struggling in this flock right now, that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that the heavens would open, they would see your glory, that they would listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.